Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our top five storylines in the NCAA Part 3. So Jalen and I, before the episode um, started, actually yesterday, came up with five of the top storylines in the NCAA that are worth discussing. And let's get to our first topic, because all the upsets, Jalen, all of the upsets, and there were so many. So let's talk about uh, some of these upsets. So what are some of your thoughts? Yeah, man. So, I mean, let's just kind of go through some of the contenders, right? Because, I mean, all of these are so crazy. So when you have to kind of pick where to start, it kind of is like a beauty in the eye of the beholder situation. So I got a couple written down. So there were a lot on Saturday this past weekend. Um, Oklahoma State takes down uh, Texas 64 to 51. Missouri beat Alabama 92 to 86. Texas Tech takes down Kansas. San Diego State goes crazy on Colorado State. Oklahoma beats Iowa State and Miami beat Duke. That one was the biggest one, obviously, of the weekend. And then the other day on Tuesday, two biggest ones for that day were Stanford beating number five USC and Texas Tech taking down Baylor. Those are obviously the biggest ones that stood out. There were some other like in-conference matchups that like based on rankings within the conference could, could be considered upsets. But in terms of overall impact on things like the AP Top 25, these games were easily the ones that are going to have the most impact on how things fluctuate come Monday when things kind of get revised um, again. Because realistically speaking, I think this weekend is going to be another big test for a lot of teams in terms of upsetting the apple cart. So, I mean, Ryan, I think the first thing that has to be pointed out, I guess the first team to kind of touch on when we talk about upsets has to be Texas Tech, right? In terms of imp- uh, in terms of impressive victories, back-to-back big wins, and of course we know in the Big 12 any W is going to be a big win, Um, at least one through, I would say one through seven, one through eight within the conference, but taking down Kansas and Baylor and doing it without two of your better players, right? You talk about these two games, didn't have Terrence Shannon in either one of these games, didn't have Kevin McCullough in either one of these games either, to do such a thing is huge. And everybody knows knocking down the number one team in the country is obviously a big step in the right direction. And I think when we talk about upsets in college basketball, I think that's the best part about college basketball. With how surprising this season has been so far, I'm not as shocked with the amount of upsets, but I think it's to be expected that there should be a lot of upsets within college basketball. But I'm shocked at the teams that are being upset and I think that there are two that stand out to me. I think there's two that, that are uh, the most impressive. The first one is obviously Miami defeating number two Duke. I think this is huge given the low expectations Miami came into the season with. They were picked to finish 12th in the ACC, and now they sit at the top of the conference at 13 and four and five and one in conference play. They've had a lot of success with their four guard lineup of Charlie Moore, Isaiah Wong, Cameron, uh, Cameron McGusty, and Jordan Miller. Um, Charlie Moore actually had seven steals in the game against Duke, seven of the 15 steals. So he was just a defensive menace the entire game. And uh, Miami's head coach actually has a good history with Duke, seven and seven against Duke teams. So he definitely has been a thorn in the side um, for Duke basketball. And then the second game 
Stanford defeating number five USC to end their undefeated season. I think that was also huge. Harrison Ingram and Spencer Jones both scoring 21 points and shooting the ball well from the field. I think that's important to note because Ingram's only averaging about 12.8 points per game. Jones is averaging about 10.2 points per game. So they both have had to had, or they both had to have big games in order for Stanford to get this win. And let's take into consideration the fact that before this game, USC had four of their five games either canceled or postponed. I think regardless, though, this is a bad loss for USC because Stanford, much like Miami, didn't have any or didn't have high expectations coming into this season. So I think both the losses are bad for Duke and USC. And I think these losses could impact these teams in the long run, especially when we talk about the NCAA tournament. Yeah, when you talk about the three teams that like are majorly impacted, I think we kind of ended up grouping them together, right? You talk about Baylor, you talk about USC, you talk about Duke. I think Kansas Kansas is in this mix as well, um, but I don't think they're as at a detriment within this grouping out of the mere fact that I think it's easy to argue that they're still a top two, top three team within the Big 12. I think for Baylor, the question now just comes with the loss that they've experienced to Texas Tech, especially considering they were relatively undermanned. You do have to wonder how this will affect who ends up being number one. We'll get into that in a little bit. But if you look across the board, I mean, let's just talk about some of the crazy nights across the board for all of these upsets. In the Oklahoma State game, Keelan Boone dropped 17.6 rebounds. In the game uh, for Missouri versus Alabama, Kobe Brown with a smooth 30-piece with 13 rebounds. Texas Tech, like I mentioned beforehand, when they, when they beat Kansas, they did it without – two of their better players. And when you talk about them beating Baylor, Ryan, you were talking about the undefeated streak for USC in terms of being one of the lone, lone remaining undefeated teams. Well, so was Baylor within that mix. And their undefeated streak went 21 games long, spewing back to, uh, spanning back to last season. And that was brought to an end as well. So when you look at the overall um, landscape of things, even talk about Miami versus Duke, like you said beforehand, Miami's coach, has been a relative thorn in the side of Duke teams. But this was a game that from a height advantage, from a size advantage, Duke, I mean, pretty much was set up to win with their two best players being Mark Williams and uh, Paulo Bancaro. Both of them got seven rebounds um, apiece. Both of them did most of their damage in the second half when they were needed most. Miami just simply was better in the clutch, especially in the closing moments. They're two big guys. One of them, like you mentioned beforehand, being Charlie Moore, stepped up in the final moments, made some key plays, key buckets, and they pretty much wanted at the free throw line to kind of end things off in a really physical ACC matchup, which is kind of what we need within ACC basketball, because we're also going to talk about this a little bit later. We don't really know who's really like that in the ACC, right? So, I mean, across the board, bro, these upsets are so crazy that I think it only sets a further further precedent for us not being able to really pinpoint who the best team in college basketball right now is. But that kind of takes us to our next point, which is about that ideal. So there's four teams that I think realistically have a, have a shot or deserve to be within that number one spot, right? Gonzaga, UCLA, Auburn, and obviously Baylor being able to keep their spot. So Let's start off like this. Based on just that grouping alone, who do you think should be number one right now? I think without any doubt, 
I think Auburn should not only be considered, but I wouldn't be surprised if they take that top spot in the top 25. I think they could get a lot of votes for their impressive season so far. And I only want to take this from the scheduling perspective because talent-wise, we can go on and on about how talented this team is. We're going to get into Jabari Smith a little bit later, but Walker Kessler as another element to that front court. You talk about a dominant rim protector, and then you 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 factor in Alan Flanagan is coming back to this team. If this team is not the most talented team in college basketball right now, man, they, they're definitely up there as one of the top talented teams. But looking at their schedule so far, they defeated Loyola Chicago. Now, given how good they are this season, that's impressive because they handed them one of their two losses this year. Knocking off LSU, I think, is huge. Going on the road to, de- to, to defeat Alabama uh, two days ago, I think that's huge as well because that's two exclamation point victories in conference play to tell the SEC, look, Auburn's not messing around this year. And their only loss was to UConn, who's been competitive in the Big East this season. So I don't think that's as big of a loss. Um, I really don't think that will affect their uh, their ranking as much in the AP Top 25. But I definitely think they can take that top spot for sure. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Auburn overall, right, like you said beforehand, we, we can get into the logistics with Jabari a little bit later on as a guy who could be considered to be like the top overall pick in this upcoming draft. But like you said, Alan Flanagan coming back huge in the backcourt for them already, as if they didn't already have pretty decent play from the guard position to begin with. You talk about some of the guys that they already have on the squad and they're in a situation where like Katie Johnson has been a really physical presence for them. You already mentioned West, uh, Walker Kessler earlier, Wendell green coming off the bench as a spark plug. The dude is not shy away from contact. The dude is not shy away from big moments either at 19 in that game that you were referencing against Alabama. That's huge. I think the biggest thing, too, is I kind of went through each team's schedule and pointed out their notable wins and notable losses because that's going to be what's factored in when you talk about things like Kim Palm and things like the AP Top 25 from a voter perspective. So let's go through the teams, right? Gonzaga's case is they've beaten Texas, Texas Tech, UCLA, but they lost to Duke and Alabama. The Alabama loss is looking tougher and tougher every single week, but nonetheless, we know Alabama is going to be in the mix at the end of the day, right? Then you go to UCLA, wins over Villanova and Marquette. I think the Villanova win is going to have a lot more weight behind it than the Marquette win, and I think that them losing to Gonzaga the way they did is probably the biggest anchor that holds them back from being able to take that number one spot. The big thing, too, is they were supposed to play Arizona on the 30th of December, right before the new year, and that got postponed. Now, granted, they're going to be able to get that game back because, of course, we know they're not going to just get rid of conference games. But that would have been a great opportunity to have a feather in their cap if that's a game they were able to come out with the victory in. That could maybe propel them a lot more into this conversation, especially to outbalance that Gonzaga loss. Let's get to Auburn. UCF is a pretty solid team this year big win over them LSU that win is that I would say that win is pretty solid right this is not out of all the Tigers in the SEC right the worst team to probably beat and try to put on your resume is probably Missouri at the time but LSU is probably one of the better defensive teams in the country so taking them out is huge and obviously the win over Alabama is big I would say that Auburn has the best is the best one loss team in the country next to Baylor 
like I personally take them over Arizona and USC as a squad. So that puts them at basically Alabama versus Baylor. And if you talk about Baylor staying at the top, right, they've beat Villanova, they've beat Iowa State, and they've beat Michigan State, a team we're going to talk about a little bit later on that's kind of been playing above their, above their pay grade so far this year. But losing to Texas Tech is more fresh in the mind than, Alabama, than, than, than Auburn's loss. So if you factor in recency bias and you factor in the overall scheduling, I mean, Ryan, you might have a point. I mean, I think legitimately Auburn has a case. Um, who would be your number two if, if you're so sold on Auburn at number one? Who would be your number two? I feel like it has to be Baylor. But I feel like it could go any other way. This is the beauty of the is the eye of the beholder kind of situation with the top five. It's tough because you kind of have to look at the schedules of both teams, of all three teams, should I say. You look at Gonzaga, UCLA, and Baylor. Gonzaga's had some impressive wins, but they've also had those two losses that can hurt them. UCLA, their only loss was to Gonzaga. They lost them by 20, but they really haven't had that much of an impressive schedule. Texas Tech defeating Baylor as Baylor's first loss, I think is not terrible. I think if anything, like with, with how good Texas Tech has become this season with Kevin Obernor, you said uh, McCuller as well, Shannon, another great player for that team. I think if you look at the Baylor season so far and what they have up ahead of them, I think Baylor is probably number two in that case because I think scheduling-wise – they're going to have to play a lot of tough teams. You talk about how tough the Big 12 is. Texas, you know, Texas Tech. They already lost to Texas Tech. So they're, I think they're they're going to see them again. Mm. Um, but Baylor is going to have to play Texas Tech on the road. Um, you know, you look at Kansas as another tough team. Oklahoma State's kind of a sneaky team um this year. But that's just that's four teams in a tough big in, in a tough Big 12. So I think if anything, Baylor gets that second spot. Yeah, I think Baylor losing in Waco, that I think that storyline by itself is going to have a lot of weight because Baylor protects home court very, very well. And then you throw on top of that the overall prestigiousness of right there, their overall like run that they've had. Like I said, this this 21 game winning streak spans back to last year coming off a national championship. I think that also with that being the case, might also give them the benefit of the doubt to some voters as well. So I could, I would not, me personally, would not be upset with the idea if Baylor still came out number one in the next AP poll. But I definitely believe that Auburn is most deserving of it based on what they've done so far. My order, personally, if I had to just go based off these top four, would probably be Auburn, Baylor, I'm still taking Gonzaga, and then I'm taking UCLA. The only thing that's a little sketchy between Gonzaga and UCLA is we both obviously know that from a conference standpoint, UCLA has a much more difficult road ahead of them that can also be a big resume builder. So I wouldn't be surprised if Gonzaga started to slowly but surely slide, but so far they haven't done anything to really deserve too much of a decline. So, But I'm with you. I, I'm taking Auburn first, man. And I think UCLA is definitely a talented team, too, with Johnny Juzang, Tiger Campbell. But I think this is a team that I think further down the road in the season, 
that we'll, we'll truly find out how good this team is because Arizona, they still have to play. They have to play USC, Oregon, even though their record really doesn't, or their record isn't really compelling. That's a team that's been pretty solid the entire season. So those are just a couple of those teams in the Pac-12 that I think could be really dangerous. But I think that's where UCLA can rack up a couple of conference wins, and some of those can be some uh, quality wins that improve their resume. So let's move on to talking about the ACC, because it's safe to say, Jalen, the ACC has had a down year. And the article we were referencing for this topic is actually by Kevin Sweeney for uh, Sports Illustrated, and it's entitled Your Catch-Up Guide to the College Basketball Season. He has a section in the article. That's uh, that talks about the ACC's down year. And, you know, he, he talks about how great of a team that Duke is and they can be the best team in college basketball um, at their best. But you look at the ACC in general, the ACC has been terrible this year. And um, I'll read the quote here now. Uh, it says, per Kempom, the league's adjusted efficiency margin is the lowest it's been since the 2012-2013 season. And that year, the league got got just four bids to the NCAA tournament, and four feels like something resembling a best-case scenario for the league after a disastrous non-conference season. That's just a quote from Sweeney's article. So taking that into consideration, Jalen, four teams that you believe can make the NCAA tournament, who are those four teams? Mm. Okay, so Ryan, we came up with this topic, and I instantly regretted it, and this is why. Because, like he says in the article, outside of Duke, there's nobody that is extremely enticing from this crop, right? Now, I believe in Miami. I genuinely do. I like Isaiah Wong. I like Charlie Moore. I think they've got some good guard depth. They definitely play tough. And I like the fact that they have taken upon themselves to be a really strong defensive team. And I think that they found something, you know, Cameron Mcgusty is also one of the better scorers in the country as well. When you talk about their core between Cam, Isaiah, and, uh, well, I guess the double Cam, the double Cam combo, if you talk about, you know, the double C's, Charlie, Charlie Moore as well. When you talk about their grouping of Charlie, Cam, and Isaiah, Wardenberg is a very good passer, too, out of the post. Very good passer, not a dynamic scorer, not even a crazy rebounder for them, but a guy who just is really good at helping set their guards up, which is huge because they play through these guys so much. I feel pretty confident in Miami. We know Duke's going to be there. I like UNC, and I'm biased because I, I, I genuinely like UNC like as a team. I think it's just going to have a lot to do with Caleb Love and being the real deal because last year was a hiccup and we let it slide. This year he's averaging 15.6 points per game, 3.7 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 44% from three-point landing. That's the real, that's what we need to be real. If that, if 44, 45% from three is not real life, we could be in trouble because that's a lot of Ar- Armando Baycott-led offense and the dude's averaging 16 and 11, but that's not going to win you games. That's not going to win you games in the tournament. That's not going to win you games in the ACC, quite frankly, unfortunately. I don't think that 
Armando Baycott can will UNC through the ACC gauntlet. But I believe in them enough. I believe in Caleb Love enough that they would be the other team. The trick with this, the fourth team, is that I don't think anybody's truly separated themselves outside of just what simply is shown in the win-loss record in terms of in-conference. Because obviously the next thing would be Notre Dame, who's second in the conference from a from a conference scheduling standpoint, right? They're 4-1 and one in the conference right now. And they've been pretty, pretty solid overall. I think the biggest thing with them is that, you know, they're getting solid guard play and it's leading to wins. Dane Goodwin's leading them with 15 points per game. I'm going to go with them, but I have to tell you the truth. And this this is going to sound insane considering the fact that they're so low in the standings, but I just have to let this go. I still think that Georgia Tech is dangerous, bro. I still think that they're scary. Seven and eight overall, so as an overall record, one and four in the conference. But they've got two of the best scores in the ACC right now, and Michael DeVoe right at the lead helm. And then you've got um, a guy in Jordan Usher right behind them. The only issue with them is, unfortunately, from an offensive standpoint, they're the only two guys that they have. So, like I said, I'm going to leave my four teams as, as is. I think it's going to be the top four teams that are in there right now. Louisville's nice, but I don't, I just don't believe in them too much just yet. I'm going to go with Miami, Notre Dame, Duke, UNC. If I had to rank them, I'm going Duke, Miami, UNC, Notre Dame. And I know that's kind of sketchy putting UNC over Notre Dame. That might be my fandom talking. Sneaky team to watch that could get hot back head of the season is Georgia Tech. I also think NC State is pretty solid, but we'll have to see. Jalen, scary enough, the four teams that you listed are also my four teams. And I'm not going to lie, when I was thinking about the teams, let's start with Duke, actually. Duke gets in because I think they have the quality wins. They have the wins over Gonzaga and Kentucky. The Miami loss, I think, will most likely impact where they go uh, in terms of seeding in the tournament. Mm-hmm. I think Duke is the only lock in the ACC. And I may be going out on a limb here, but I think Miami could be a sneaky five or six seed that gets into the tournament. We already detailed how good their team has been with the four-guard lineup and um, Wardenberg as well. I think Wardenberg's a very solid player. He doesn't get talked about nearly enough uh, with how good Miami's been this season. Their resume is not impressive, but I think their win over Duke on the road gives them an edge over most of the ACC teams. And Jalen, I can't count UNC out, but this is another team that does not have an impressive resume. This is a team that does not have a very good defense either, but they, I, I feel like they can get a lot of conference wins with how bad the ACC has been this year. And I think I think Caleb Love has taken a huge step up, which we expected. We, we needed that to happen this year, and he did exactly that. My last spot goes to Notre Dame because with how wide open the ACC is, I would not be shocked if Notre Dame was one of the last tournament bids. They are one of two ACC teams undefeated at home, the other being North Carolina. Let's look at their schedule. 
They stayed competitive against Illinois, who was number 25 at the time. They only lost to them by 10 points. They defeated number 18, Kentucky, and North Carolina at home. Those are two impressive wins right there. And I'm confident that there are another team that ends up making the tournament. Now, let's quickly just go through the rest of the ACC here. Okay. Not completely sold on Louisville because I don't think they have enough quality wins right now. Syracuse can be sneaky. So I wanted wanted to talk about them because I wanted to ask you a question. So I'm glad that's the next team that actually came up. Buddy's averaging almost 20 a game. You know what I mean? Jimmy's averaging almost 15. Cole Swider has been a problem so far this year, 13 and 7, shooting it pretty good from three at 35%. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's, I mean, we're talking about, you know, a, a setup right now. I mean, even if you look at um, their team as a whole, that's five guys averaging double figures. And you could argue that, you know, I believe Buddy Bayheim is going to be in discussion to be a first-team All-ACC player. It would feel disrespectful for me to bring up Georgia Tech as low as they are and to not have a discussion about Syracuse. So my question to you is, do you think that Syracuse, based off their foundation that they have, is good enough to maybe shock one of the four teams that we have. Since we have the same four-team list, only feels right to kind of discuss teams that could upset the apple cart. Out of the group, I mentioned Georgia Tech earlier just because I think that they have the offensive firepower in terms of stardom from two guys to potentially flip their uh, their, their fortunes around. But Syracuse is no joke either. So how do you feel about them and their possible, possible chances of maybe breaking into that top four and maybe, you know, being a little bit of a problem for the teams that we do think are potential top four, you know, um, coming out the ACC. So I think they can be a problem. I do think that this is going to be a team that will cause some issues in the ACC because Jalen, let's face it, they're Syracuse. Like they are, they've always (laughs) been, They, they've always been a thorn in the side of a lot of teams in the ACC, just like the Miami head coach is a thorn in the side of you know Duke basketball. Syracuse as a whole can cause problems in the ACC. They, th- this is a team right now with Buddy Bayheim as their leading scorer, Jimmy Bayheim, you know, being a solid forward for this team. I was kind of expecting a little bit more from Joe Girard, but I'll take the fact that he's shooting over 44% from three. Cole Swider has been pretty impressive and, and Edwards has taken a pretty big leap uh, since last year. I mean, he, he's had to fulfill the role left behind by uh, Merrick Dolezal. So, I mean, Edwards taking that leap, I think has been impressive so far, but outside of that, that starting five has been your only source of production. You have not gotten a lot from the bench this season. And I think that's the one thing we talk about, you know, we talk about in the NBA playoffs, how much depth matters to, a team when that, when ACC tournament comes around, when the ACC tournament comes around, depth is going to matter a lot more than people think, because I think the deepest team right now in the ACC has to be Duke. And, you know, I think for, for a team like Syracuse to get some of these other, to get some of these other quality wins against conference teams, I feel like they're going to have to have their bench step up. And, you know, we're going to, 
we're, we're going to obviously see in the long run how much of a thorn in the side Syracuse will be. But right now, I'm very interested to see where this goes with Syracuse because Buddy Bayhaw has been playing some pretty solid basketball. Um, you know, his brother's been having a great season as well, Jimmy Bayheim. I'm interested to see not only where they go, but I'm also interested in Florida State too. Okay. Because there's something interesting about Florida State. Now, again, nine and five, not a lot of impressive wins right now. Mm-hmm. But Florida face value, good head coach, couple of solid players right now. Anthony Polite's been a pretty good player for them this year. I feel like there's at least 10 teams that I think can make, if we had to pick like four of them to make the ACC tournament, Mm -hmm. we've already listed our four, Duke, North Carolina, Miami, and Notre Dame. I think there's at least 10 that can take four spots. Mm -hmm. I just have a feeling. I don't, I think, I think it's just because of how crazy the ACC has been this year that there's this unexpected side of, you don't know who's going to show up. But when they do, you're going to be shocked when they show up. It's like March Madness, but we're talking about it for one conference. That's basically how I would describe the ACC in the long run for this season. Yeah, and I think that's a great point is that I understand that they're down as a group in terms of overall threat to go to the Final Four, right, in terms of the potential teams that could really make some noise. But if you look at the entire ACC, um, Ryan, rock with me for a second. I'm just going to kind of go through. I feel like we can rule Virginia Tech out. I feel like that's an easy team to probably rule out in terms of being a legitimate threat. I feel like you can rule Pitt out, and I feel like you can rule, uh, rule Boston College out. Personally, those are the ones that I feel a lot more confident about being a rule out. You go to Georgia Tech, who's uh, who some would maybe argue would be in this group of teams to be able to rule out, right? But let's look at what they've done. Earlier in the season, you lose to Wisconsin by four. You lose to UNC by 17. That one hurts. You lose to LSU by uh, 16. That, that definitely hurts as well. You lose to USC by 14. That's, th- that, that, that's mind you, first of all, there are three teams within that four-game span that are ranked within that early time span, span back in uh, late November, early uh, December. And you throw on top of that the fact that, you know, these were double-digit losses, but nonetheless, it wasn't like they got fully shellacked. And then let's talk about actual, like, let's talk about most recent ACC play. You lose to Louisville by three. You lose to Duke by 12. You lose to Notre Dame in overtime by four. Resume-wise, the last, I would say, they beat Boston College recently. So I would say two of the three games and uh, two of the recent uh, games in the ACC outside of the Boston College game being Louisville and Notre Dame could have went differently. They would then be two and three or they would be three and two in ACC play if that if their fortunes were turned around just within those three games alone, because they're one and four right now. So they would be three and two under those circumstances. I think we're looking at Georgia Tech a lot differently if those circumstances that went their way. That's why I believe that as we get further throughout the season, they're a team that might be able to come on strong. Um, 
But I think to just wrap up the ACC, I think that's just the fact that our brains are so scrambled and can't really decide on anybody definitively. We ended up coming up with the same four teams, but it almost was like by default based on the standings early on. I think it just goes to show you that, yes, the ACC is maybe not as more not as competitive on a more league on a more countrywide level. But within the conference itself, I think it's going to be a dogfight the entire year. Because I think even with Virginia Tech, Pitt, Georgia Tech, Boston College, teams like that towards the bottom, even NC State, I think there are teams that are not going to take be taken lightly. Like if you look at NC State right now and you look at what they're doing, let's talk about the fact that um, Darion Sebron is probably going to be somewhere as a potential first-team All-ACC guy. He leads the team in points, rebounds, and assists right now, nearly 20 a game, nearly 10 rebounds a game. Like, the dude's killing it right now at the guard spot. So I think every single night the ACC is going to be difficult, even if the league, from a production value standpoint, against the spread, so to speak, says that they're weaker as a conference. Yeah, and I think that's that's going to be the interesting to think, thing to think about going forward because of how crazy the ACC has been who is going to step up? Who is going to be that team that makes a true impact in the ACC right now? Because other than Duke, that is very wide open right now. I mean, we've, we mentioned Miami, North Carolina, Notre Dame as our three other teams, but you can honestly look at six or seven other teams, Louisville, Florida state, Georgia tech, Clemson, Syracuse. Like those are just a few more. That's how wide open it is right now for the ACC to make some noise, especially in conference play. Mm -hmm. But moving on to our third storyline, we're going to talk about this season's overachievers. And Jalen and I together came up with five overachievers, and we're going to talk about them real quick. We'll talk about their record and then their preseason uh, expectations. The first one is Texas A&M, and Texas A&M was voted to finish 12th in the SEC preseason poll. They are currently 14 and two right now, second in the SEC and three and O uh, in conference play. Looking at the second team, we have Michigan State. They were voted sixth in the unofficial Big Ten uh, media poll. Michigan State, Michigan State sits at 14 and two atop the Big Ten, five and O in conference play. The third team we're going to talk about, Oklahoma, picked seventh in the Big 12. Um, they are currently uh, sixth in the Big 12, 12 and four. Uh, they're two and two in conference play. They've actually gotten a lot of non-conference wins, which have uh, led to our decision to include them as overachievers. Mm-hmm. The fourth team, Providence, they were picked seventh in the Big East. Providence is 14 and two right now. Uh, they're four and one in the conference. Last team that we're going to uh, include in this list Davidson, they were picked to fish uh, pit to finish sixth in the Atlantic 10. They are first in the Atlantic 10, 13 and 2, 3 and 0 in conference play. So given what I have said about these five teams, Jalen, first question is who do we think who do you think who do you think has the most impressive season so far? Most impressive, especially based on their preseason poll, has to be Texas AM. I mean, of the group, they take the bit, they took easily the biggest jump in arguably the most difficult conference. Um, 
depending on who you are, right? I mean, Oklahoma's in the Big 12. That's no joke. Michigan State's in the Big 10. That's no joke. It's hard to argue. The Big East, we've raved about the Big East multiple times on this podcast. So I think it is one of those things that depends on um, what your favorite flavor is, so to speak. But Texas A&M, like you said, was picked to be 12th in some polls. I saw them as low as 13th um, in the preseason polls beforehand. To be 14-2 and two is huge. Now, granted, I wouldn't gas them too much because their most recent wins are probably their most impressive wins, the wins over Ole Miss and Arkansas. And that's not saying a lot considering both of those teams are middle of the pack to or, or lower in the SEC right now. So no really big jump at your wins. Of the entire group, one could say Davidson has the best single win over Alabama. Remember, this was a rescheduled random matchup that took place. Alabama got caught as the sleeping giant and Davidson came in and did their thing. You could argue that the best overall resume is either from Providence or Michigan State. Michigan State's beaten Loyola Chicago, who's pretty solid, and UConn. Providence has beat Texas Tech, Vermont, who's a pretty solid team, UConn as well, and Seton Hall, which is big. Two big conference wins right right there um, to be able to hang their hat on. So across the board, Texas Tech is obviously the team that's been the most impressive because they were the team that was counted out the most. They were the team that was viewed to be the lowest within their preseason poll. And so far, they've got a lot of preseason pickers looking kind of silly. Um, I would retort the question back to you. Do you feel like it's that simple that it's just simply based off who made the biggest leap? Or do you think the actual strength of schedule should factor more into the choice? I would say both because you have to take into consideration the preseason expectations and how the teams have overachieved on those expectations. But you also have to look at their schedule, mm-hmm. which brings me to my pick for the most impressive season so far. Michigan State, and their record is very impressive right now. There are only two losses coming at the hands of two, at the time, top 10 teams of Baylor and Kansas. They also have a couple of impressive wins, knocking off UConn and Loyola Chicago. They actually gave Loyola Chicago their other loss this year, and they also have one of the best defenses in the country. They hold their opponents to 39.4% shooting from the field, 29% from three. Gabe Brown has played like an all-conference player this season. Max Christie's been one of the best freshman basketball players in the Big Ten. Marcus Bingham Jr., great rebounder, somebody who can attack the glass and block shots. He leads the team in both categories. Actually, uh, almost averages about three blocks a game, uh, 2.9 blocks a game this season. But he's been uh, one of the best um, shot blockers in the country. And then you also have Malik Hall and Tyson Walker who can knock down some threes as well. They're both shooting the ball pretty well from three. So I think this team has just been very impressive so far, given their uh, preseason expectations. Yeah. I mean, I think overall Michigan state, I think they've been pretty solid. I would argue that the road that these teams has gone through so far, I would argue Providence might have the better overall collective set of wins like i said texas tech vermont yukon and seton hall i think as a collective they probably have had the hardest road of all these teams 
But I, I mean, at the same time, like you said, kind of hard to argue against Michigan State, especially when, you know, Providence was picked to be sixth as well. They're second in the Big East right now. Michigan was picked to be picked sixth, and they're first in the Big East. I mean, in the Big Ten. So, I mean, sometimes it might be just pulling out straws uh, just to kind of cover up uh, some of our bases. With Davidson, one of the biggest reasons why we listed them on here, uh, they were listed to finish as low as sixth in the preseason poll as well, first in the A-10 right now. Obviously, that big win over Alabama has a lot to do with why we have them slotted there. Hyun Jung Lee is averaging 17.4 points per game and 6.5 rebounds. And a guy to look out for, too, as an all-A-10 potential player is Foster Lawyer for them. Dude's almost shooting 50-40-90, which is, like, I think low-key a very underrated stat for this team because I think everybody just sees the Hyun Jung stat uh, stat lines and kind of thinks that he's, like, doing his own mini Steph Curry thing over there. And he's definitely not doing this by himself. Um, and then for Oklahoma, and I actually kind of let you explain this one a little bit more because you brought Oklahoma up to me as a potential option. I would argue that Iowa State within the Big 12, 12 had way lower expectations as literally being picked to be like dead last in the Big 12 coming into the season and have obviously lived above expectations. The recent loss is obviously a big one, but they – it's only a big one because of the fact that there are actually a very, like a very legitimate factor in the big 12 right now. So what are some things that have stood out to you with Oklahoma, where maybe you would view their rise so far this season as being more significant than Iowa state for people who might think that it's odd considering Iowa state again, was picked to be pretty much at the bottom of the big 12 entering this year. So if there's anything you can point to with the success of Oklahoma so far, I don't think it's about quality wins with them. Okay. But I think the big thing when you look at this team is how well they're shooting the ball. They're one of the best teams in the, in the NCAA right now, purely shooting the ball from the field. And I, I have to kind of credit the, the new coach with this one, Porter Moser from Loyola, Chicago. I think that was a huge pickup, an, un, an underrated coaching signing for the University of Oklahoma basketball team. Because, look, I know their record doesn't uh, reflect their improvement, so to say, because they're sixth in the Big 12. They were picked seventh in the preseason poll. But this is a team that I think can be a very sneaky team in the NCAA tournament because with how well they've been shooting the ball, that could be their best attribute going into the tournament with being able to, to shoot the ball well. Because the thing with Porter Moser at Loyola Chicago was how well his teams shot the ball. This year, he transitioned that over to Oklahoma, and now his team is shooting the ball um, very well from the field. So I have a feeling that you know Oklahoma could be a really sneaky team. But um, I think now with how crowded – the big 12 is in terms of who can, who can make an impact in the big 12. We've already talked about a bunch of teams and how good they've been. Oklahoma is a team that not a lot of people are going to talk about, but I think they're a team that can make a lot of noise with a couple of conference wins. And if they continue to shoot the ball well, like they've been doing this entire season, they could be one of the most dangerous teams right now in the, not only in the Big 12, but in the NCAA in general, NCAA in general. 
Yeah, I mean, I think overall, when you look at Oklahoma, I mean, the biggest thing is it's hard to dispute some of their quality wins if you want to bring, if you're one of those people that wants to bring that up. Beating UCF, huge. Beating Florida, I think it's big. Beating Arkansas, it might not stand out as much, but I think it's big in the long term. I think, obviously, getting the win over Iowa State is very impressive when factoring in maybe which team you would look at as having a more impressive season overall. Well, the team that just won their matchup obviously is a team worth maybe getting a little bit more overall consideration. And like you mentioned beforehand, one of the better three-point shooting teams in the league, and Tanner Groves has a lot to do with that, 13.5 points per game, uh, nearly six rebounds a game, and he's shooting just over 40% from deep. So, I mean, they're a team that's definitely doing it by committee, but, I mean, the bombing of threes as a squad is probably the most uh, interesting thing. Just before we move into our next uh, our next topic with them, I know the main thing that we wanted to address was the potential fear these teams could maybe strike in the hearts of higher-seeded teams come NCAA tournament time if these teams do qualify, which we do believe that all these teams will make it as potential somewhere between five and eight seeds within the tournament, maybe a little higher depending on how uh, conference plays goes. If you had to rank them in order, what would your one through five of these five teams be in terms of number one being the the team you would fear the most and number five being the team you would maybe fear the least of this group if you were a top seed uh, heading into the tournament? So for number five, when I mentioned Texas A&M, I think, you know, defense has been solid. Mm. I think the lack of conference wins, though, Lack of quality wins, should I say, I think is what hurt their case because I don't think this this team is as battle-tested as I think they are. With Oklahoma at number four, they have to be able to shoot that ball. They have to. And I think consistency is going to be a big thing with this team. And I think if they're inconsistent shooting the ball, it goes one of two ways. They get blown out. Um, If they're consistent with shooting the ball, then, um, you know, they're going to go far in this tournament. Providence at number three and Michigan State at number two, I think um, pretty much the same reason. I think both these teams are very solid teams. I think both of them will be top seeds in the tournament if they win their conferences. But I think the big thing when you look at uh, Providence, I'll start with Providence because I don't think they are uh, schedule-wise as battle-tested as much as Michigan State is. I think Michigan State does come off as more of a threat, but I think that when you look at Michigan State, in a one-game scenario, I have to pick Davidson over them. Davidson's number one because Davidson, in a one-game situation, this is a team that is built for a an any-given-Sunday mentality type of game because I think with how good uh, Davidson has been this season and all their wins that they've racked up, including the Alabama game, I know Michigan State as a – Long-term team is going to be a threat. Long-term, they're going to be great. I think they'll make it to – they have that Final Four capability. But in a one-game situation, Davidson, for sure. Okay, I like like it. I like it. That's that's something – now, Ryan, I have to be honest with you. We actually don't agree on this, which I think is hilarious. It actually caught me off guard, but I think – that it works in a really good way because you make a really strong point. You use my own point against me, which is so tricky sometimes when you talk about when you do revisionist history. 
Because you're right. I do believe that Davidson is one of those teams that in a one-off situation, you're going to look back at your schedule and wish you didn't just put them up there as a pickup game to cover a COVID, a COVID postponement. And when we talk about the NCAA tournament, it's nothing but one game, uh, one game walkaways for this team. And with that being the case, again, you argue, I mean, we, we talked about it earlier. You could argue they have the best single game win of every team in this group. Well, you only got to win one game to move on to the next round in the NCAA tournament. So you have a great point there. And that's going to kind of mess with my list a little bit because of where I have them ranked at. But my list, I have Oklahoma at number five. Um, and personally, that's because the three-point shooting has to stick. Because in a one, especially in a one-game situation, Oklahoma is either a team that can blow you out or get blown out if their three ball is not going. And I think that's a huge thing to factor in because it's an any given Sunday kind of mentality when you walk into the NCAA tournament. And if the three ball is not hitting, I don't know how they plan on creating their offense in a way that's going to be high level enough to really compete. I had Texas A&M at four. That has a lot to do with their defense more than it does anything offensively. I mentioned, I, uh, mentioned um, earlier that they had two wins against Ole Miss and Arkansas. Obviously not quality wins, not too quality yet. But SEC victories, nonetheless, Quentin Jackson's averaging 13.2 uh, points per game. The main thing that I focus on is that five guys are averaging at least a steal a game, if not better. That kind of cohesion on the defensive end is something that's going to be scary. And I think that's something to factor in because I think tra translatability is huge when you talk about what's something that you can use as your calling card going into the tournament. I think Texas A&M can lean on their defense. I have Davidson third in the five. Hear me out. The only reason why I have them at third is because I just don't want to read too much into the Alabama victory. I do think that they are a scary team to pick up on the schedule. And I do think that in a one game single elimination scenario, they are not a team you want to see. I still agree with that. But, but. They did still catch Alabama lacking, which is huge, but I just don't want to put too much stock into it. So that's why I'm being a little apprehensive. I believe in Davidson, I think, the same way you do. I just don't, I'm not ready to jump on the Davidson for the Elite Eight bandwagon just yet. I don't want to get that far into it. I have Providence number two. The reason why I have Providence number two is because I think A.J. Reeves is solid. And he's the straw that stirs the drink in terms of keeping things afloat for that team in the guard position. Uh, Nate Watson and Noah, Noah Hochler are averaging 23.9 points per game and 14.7 rebounds per game as a duo in the front court. I think if they have to slow the game down in the NCAA tournament, that they have two guys they can dump the ball down to and maybe not go crazy, but definitely create a physical play style that they can play through. Plus, like I said before, based off this list so far, they easily have the biggest gauntlet in terms of wins that probably rank a bit higher on the, oh, this is translatable scale because of the teams that they've beaten, Texas Tech and Vermont, I would say maybe UConn as well being the main ones. And then I have Michigan State number one. And the reason why I have Michigan State number one is this. Loyola Chicago is good. UConn is good. Out of all the teams in this group, Michigan State 
easily, easily is going to be the most battle tested by the time the NCAA NCAA tournament starts. And I, you know, I feel how you know how I feel about the Big East, but we know what the Big Ten is 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 like. And with that being the case, I think that they are going to be the most battle tested, and that means I think they are going to be the most ready. Now, if they win the Big Ten tournament like you think, they're going to be a top three seed, I think, just based off their circumstances. You win the Big Ten, I think you're going to be somewhere between number one and number two, but I think they're going to be number three at the lowest. I think that's a circumstance where I think teams are going to know what's up about them, as opposed to maybe Providence, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Davidson, that are going to come in as five seeds and lower, at least based off my presumption barring winning the NCAA, I mean, winning the uh, conference tournament. I think Michigan State can be a 3-4 seed whether they win the tournament or not. So that's what I have. But I do hate it, Ryan. I do hate it because, like you said beforehand, the belief in Davidson is real. Moving on to our next topic, we're going to talk about Michigan basketball. And Jalen, I want to pose the question like this. Is Michigan the most disappointing team this season? Man, you know, when we talked about this, it felt like a stretch when we first said it. And then you have to think about, like, the overall expectations of this team. Like, considering, like, the fact that this is a team coming off of, what, the Elite Eight, I believe, last year? And Ryan, I'm going to I'm going to reference this this SB Nation article that I found because this was from the preseason that this took place. And remember, Michigan State is a team that is not very good this year. Just just to kind of line some things up. Seven and six so far this year, they did have a covid pause. So we do need to factor that in from a from a fair standpoint. Seven and six this year, one and two in the conference. Um, ninth in the Big Ten so far. Now let's go to the SB uh, the SB Nation article. In the preseason, they were picked to be sixth in the country. They were picked. Let, let me make sure I I repeat that for the viewers who didn't have their volume all the way up. Michigan. The Michigan Wolverines were picked in the preseason, according to this SB Nation article, to be arguably a top six team in the country. I'll even read out the section for you, not the whole thing, but enough of it to kind of get the gist. The New Look Wolverines starting lineup features a transfer point guard for the second straight season, Devontae Jones, a senior who has never been been a consistent starter, Brandon Jones, and a five-star true freshman in Caleb Houston, alongside senior guard Eli Brooks and sophomore center Hunter Dickinson, who leads the starting lineup in terms of returning production and leadership. While key reserves sophomore forward Terrence Williams, true freshman Musa Diabate, and sophomore guard Zeb Jackson will look to contribute early and often off the bench. Jawan Howard won the Big Ten regular season title last season, They won the Big Ten last year. Let me say that again. They won the Big Ten last year. In his second season as a head coach of the Wolverines and are among the favorites 
to win it again along with Purdue and Illinois. That was the expectation level that the Michigan Wolverines came in with to be competing for the Big Ten title next to Purdue, who has Jaden Ivey and Travion Williams, two guys who are possibly going to go into the NBA draft. Jaden Ivey, some are talking, could potentially be a top five pick. And Illinois, who has Kofi uh, Coburn, who is arguably top two, top three big men in the Big Ten and arguably top 10, top 15 big men in the country. They're coming in with Hunter Dickinson, who was supposed to be on that level, two guys in Musa Diabate and Caleb Houston, who are arguably two potential first-round picks in the upcoming draft. Yeah, here we are, Ryan, having a whole segment about whether or not they're the most disappointing team in college basketball right now. The mere fact that I think we have to ask that question should almost tell listeners exactly what the answer is. I'm going to let you get a little bit more into some of the statistical stuff about why this season might be considered as bad as it is for them from a logistical standpoint. But I think the standings tell you a lot of the tale in terms of what this team was supposed to be and where they are. And you can only blame a COVID pause, but so much in terms of production on the floor. So there is one thing that I will point to with the, you know, struggles so far of Michigan basketball. Jalen, this team's shooting 34% from three. Mm-hmm. This is abysmal. Abysmal. Like you, you cannot shoot 34% from three and win games. I say this a lot with Maryland basketball, <laughs> ironically enough. And Maryland is actually shooting worse than them. They're 31%. But Michigan's expectations. You talk about the fact that you you look at the preseason top 25, and you know, that basically just tells you how disappointing their season's been. Mm-hmm. Number six in the preseason poll. Ten weeks later, they're out of the top 25 and they're seven and six. The thing is, this team is nowhere near as good as last year's team. And it's unfortunate because Hunter Dickinson is playing some great basketball. He's averaging 16 points and close to nine rebounds. Mm -hmm. But you have to be able to hit threes. Hitting threes, especially in this college basketball landscape, is very important. And look, I, 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 I'm a huge fan of Eli Brooks because I, I love the way he's been playing this season, especially last year. But they need more help. Caleb Houston's got to step up. Diabate has to step up. Javante Jones has to step up. Now, again, the COVID pause thing, you definitely have to take that into consideration because, again, it's affected a lot of teams. You know, uh, for those of you who don't know, Jalen um, records the series House and Tigers takes. He hasn't been able to record it for weeks because of COVID pauses within the Towson men's and women's basketball programs. But how much before you like the, the thing you, you, you think about adapting, you have to adapt to the new situation. You have to adapt with your circumstances. Michigan this season has not adapted very well. And I, I'm, I'm worried for what this team will 
you know, become later in the season because this team, this team season is, is, is bad right now. And I, I know the COVID pauses, again, they are affecting this team massively, but I think you have to be able to, you, you have to be able to pull it together. And that's the thing. Can Hunter Dickinson, are there other players outside of Hunter Dickinson, and Eli Brooks that can contribute for this team? Because I, I want to see Caleb Houston. I want to see Diabate, Jones, Williams, Johns, a couple of guys that you've already mentioned already. Those are a couple of guys that make up the supporting cast that made Michigan so good last year. And when you look at this supporting cast this year, they have not produced the same. So I think for Jawan Howard, the big question is, what will Michigan become in the long run in this season? Because you're seven and six right now. Things can change. You know, we, we've seen six lost teams in the polls, in the AP top 25 polls late in the season. So it's it's very possible. But can you do it? And Jawan Howard, I think I think this will really prove how much of a battle-tested coach Jawan Howard is if he's able to turn around this team. And I think even, you know, even looking just beyond the AP top 25, just in terms of being a legitimate threat within the NCAA tournament, being a being a legitimate threat within the Big Ten tournament is going to require a little bit more of a boost from some of these other guys. And, and Ryan, it seems easy. Caleb Houston is a guy who came into the in, into this this league as a guy who is considered to potentially be a lottery pick in the uh, in the NBA the upcoming NBA draft. At least a top twenty guy, six eight wing. A guy who potentially coming out of Montverde definitely has the offensive skill set to be able to maybe take a significant load off of a guy like Hunter Dickinson as a scoring option, especially if you talk about being a legitimate perimeter threat. I'm going to go through something real quick, and we're going to kind of finish up on Michigan and kind of go into our next topic because we're coming to a close in this pod. But with Caleb Houston, it comes down to inconsistency. And again, I know that people can blame the COVID pause. Let's talk about everything that happened before the COVID pause. First game of the season, 11 points. Second game of the season, 13 points. Then I get four points, five points, six points. 14 points against uh, Tarleton State, not saying much, right? Then eight points. Then 17 points against, um, uh, 17 points against UNC or 17 points against uh, San Diego State, excuse me, and then 18 points or 16 points against Nebraska. My apologies. Then you have the game where they play um, Minnesota, only eight points. Then Southern Utah, only nine points. Comes back from the COVID pause, gives you one singular point. And then in their last game, most recently against Rutgers, he drops 12. So the inconsistency from a scoring standpoint is there. Caleb Houston has also only shot the ball double-digit times three times this year. And this is a guy that we're talking about is supposed to potentially be a top 20 guy. I'm not saying he's supposed to chuck it, but for a team that is clearly struggling, he needs to assert himself as an offensive option. This is not me and Ryan trying to rag on Michigan we have enough Big Ten love to hand around dirtying Maryland's name every week. 
We don't really need to pass it out to Michigan. But I think me and Ryan both definitely know that especially considering the circumstances of what this team came into, uh, came into this season looking like from a roster construction standpoint, along with their actual expectations within the Big Ten, seven and six is kind of crazy. And I think everything that you've mentioned, I mean, the supporting cast has to step up. I think if anybody has to step up specifically, it's Caleb Houston because the inconsistencies are there. But that's that's what I mentioned earlier. He's part of the supporting cast. Like he had that NBA draft pick ability and we haven't really seen much of him to this point in the season, much of that draft pick ability this season that made him so good at Montverde and he hasn't been able to really transfer it over, over to Michigan. So I'm very interested to see if he can turn it around because again, like the inconsistencies in scoring are something you point out uh, immediately with Caleb Houston, but moving on to our last topic, Jabari Smith impressive this season. He's been a top player in the SEC, top player across the country, and he's quickly rising above draft boards. Jalen, I want you to talk about his season, but I also want you to make the case for him being the number one overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft. Okay, so I think both of those things are a little bit easy to be able to fathom. Um, Just to put his season into perspective, and we gassed up Auburn earlier, so this shouldn't be taken too out of context considering the fact that this is a team that's arguably a top five team in the country right now. So it's not like he's doing some of these things in a outlandish way or playing within a conference where he's just able to kind of dominate. So 16.1 points per game, 6.4 rebounds per game, 2.1 assists per game, 1.1 blocks and 1.5 steals, shooting 45.5% from the field on 12 attempts a game, and 45% from three on five attempts a game. This is a guy at 6'10". We're talking KD stuff. I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to let Bruce Pearl do his thing when it comes to talking that talk when it comes to this man being compared to KD. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, he had a 25-point game against Alabama the other night. He had seven rebounds, four blocks, and two steals in that game as well. 20.7 20.7 rebounds and four assists in the win over UCF. Four double doubles this season. Five 20 point plus, uh, 20 point or uh, or more uh, performances per game. Six foot ten can handle the rock a little bit. Definitely a solid defender. And Ryan, I- I'm probably gonna work on an article on him, so I'm gonna kind of save a little bit of the information that I share in here, just because there's a little bit more that I want to kind of go in depth about when it comes to writing about him. But I want to read something to you when I was doing transcriptions for one of Sam's, uh, Sam Vecini. He's a uh, NBA draft guy for the athletic, very solid content on the NBA draft and the NBA as a whole. Back on December 10th, they did a segment talking about the top four potential picks in the draft and who could solidify themselves or who they believe could potentially be number one, and how those top four guys could all have a legitimate case for number one. Sam Vecini said, in terms of the way the NBA is going right now, I think his, being Jabari Smith, ceiling is higher than anyone else's 
in this draft class. If he becomes a real shot creator, if he becomes someone that can handle the ball, and we've seen some flashes of that already, the shooting is there already at a high level. The defense is already pretty good. He could essentially be one of the one of these big six foot nine, six foot ten wings who are shot creators. Like there are some real Paul Georgie outcomes in his absolute ceiling if everything goes right. And Paul George is just a sample of what that is. I mentioned KD and Jess earlier. Jason Tatum is obviously another guy that comes to mind as well in terms of six foot nine, six foot ten rangy wings that can create off the bounce. This is a guy who's been doing draft content for the better half of a decade, if not plus, and said that Jabari is Jabari Smith is arguably the best shooter he's seen at six foot ten, six foot ten in terms of draft draft evaluation. I, I mean, hey, look, the silence is because what else do you have to say? Six foot ten, built like KD on Auburn, who you could argue is the best team in the country. I think that should build you a high enough resume to at least give you a shot. And if you think me and Ryan are tripping by even discussing this, 247 Sports has Jabari Smith number one. Tankathon has him number one. NBA DraftNet has him number one. SI.com, Sports Illustrated, has him number one. Bleacher Report has him number two over Chet Holmgren. So I don't think it's too insane to assume that this is a guy who could potentially, at the rate that we're going at, could end up on the Orlando Magic. You know? This is a player in Jabari Smith, 6'10", elite shooting skills, solid athlete. He's got the athleticism, solid defender. I mean, he is he's getting better, and he's only 18 years old. The man is 6'10". He's shooting 45% from three. I, I don't know. I'm not going to lie, Jalen. <laughs> you know? Jalen, I'm speechless because <laughs> there's there are not there are a lot of players that have impressed me because I I love watching college basketball. Jabari Smith is 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 something different. I'm telling you, I think Jabari Smith is going to be. I I hope this comes to fruition because Jabari Smith has been such a great player for Auburn, but he's only 18 years old. He's six foot ten, and he the only thing he needs to do is shoot over people. Doesn't even need to dunk. Doesn't really need to play. I mean, he obviously does play a lot of defense, but the the one thing he's been doing consistently is his elite level shooting ability. He's six ten. I I love Paulo Banchero and I love Chet Holmgren and his players because. They have been great the entire season. Jabari Smith sneakily could be the number one overall pick. And he is he's playing at such an elite level right now that it's hard to deny it. Yeah, man. I mean, we'll probably talk about Jabari a little bit like later on this month. I know we plan on doing an NBA draft big board uh, mm-hmm. later on at the end of the month. So that'll be huge in terms of showing off what we're going to end up doing. Um, so stay tuned for that because that's something to come up uh, in late January, of course. But I mean, like I said before, man, the dude is ridiculous as a prospect. It's going to be really fun to see 
what he continues to do. And according to ESPN, he's the 13th best player in the entire nation, which makes no sense because Paulo Benchero wasn't on the list. So, but that's a, that's a, that's a topic for a different day. I didn't even throw that in there. You know, it's one of those things that you gotta just run across. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, apparently EJ Liddell is better than Jabari Smith. I'm I'm not going to speak on it, but you know, let ESPN write their articles. It gets them paid. So, you know, we got to get our pay too. Uh, uh, follow us on Instagram. Uh, we might have some things coming out soon that will be pretty huge in terms of uh, hoop talk content. Nonetheless, all jokes aside, yeah, I think Jabari Smith is the truth for real, and I think he's going to be a really fun prospect to keep an eye out on. With that being the case, Ryan, get us up out of here, my guy. 13th, Jalen. Yeah, man. Yeah, Seriously. Man. Totally different podcast, man. Totally different podcast. You know what? Forget it. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans. Do you believe Jabari Smith is the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. Do you believe he has that capability over Paolo Benchero and Chet Holmgren? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.